Shut up and sit down. everyone tonight we're going to finish or we're going to continue to try to talk about sentinel tropes um and um the fandom because i still haven't got any ideas that are workable for the format in july for rough trade and this is my um nightly reminder for those of you who are in my chat room on my site that my site chat room is adult and there could be pornographic images in it and if you have children, you should not be on a computer near your children in my chat room. Or even, honestly, on my site, because my site is adult. So just just FYI. Um, Julie's going to join me, and we're going to continue our um, discussion, our, our rambling conversation about Sentinels. And um, I'm going to put her on the air uh, so we can get started. Hello. I'm I'm all set to ramble, I think. <laughs> Maybe. Part, Maybe. Part do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got so tickled I, when I did that. There yeah, I did. I was funny. I was uh I, two days in a row I came into chat just as there's a dick. Right? Just as there's a dick. Yeah. Going. <laughs> Excellent timing on your part. I, I do have really good timing. It's like, whoa, the dick greeting. <laughs> and this it one, was even way actually. It was actually they both hey. they both kind of sprang out. They both kind of sprang out at you. So it was kind of, oh, okay. Just <laughs> waving at you. Hey. Um, so, Hello. did you have any broad ideas today about Sentinels while while we were separated? <laughs> while we were parted these I, 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 I uh, 22 hours? In the last week, I, I had one terrible idea. I don't know if that's a bright idea. I had one terrible idea. Um, okay. My terrible idea, it was just, it's sort of more of a, more of a world-building thing where it's like... Um, uh, the very strongest guides, like shaman level guides, they go through this like um, um, sort of ancient ritual for selecting a sentinel, um, where the sentinel has to hunt them. And so, like, you, it's like uh, set a group of promising sentinels, and they have to try to find the guide. And the guide does their best to not be findable. Um, and it's not like you get the guide if you win the hunt kind of thing. It's more like, well, you're worthy. I might consider you. I don't know where my brain was. <laughs> It's like if you want this, you're gonna to have to work for it. That's exactly what went through my mind. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it, but um, I don't I either. I told you it's a terrible idea. Because sometimes yeah. you have an idea and you think, "Oh, this is so great! I can never share it with anybody because someone will take it and get it dirty." And get it very dirty. 
people could do awful things with that. That's true. They they could go off with that idea and do things with it that I would never in a million years do myself. Um, but I think that could legitimately be said about like everything I've written. I think. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to let your word babies go on the internet, and you know somebody's gonna fuck them up, you know, and it's just like, I wish you wouldn't. It's like, what did you do? <sighs> like that time that twat tried to um, tell me that she was going to finish one of my EADs for me. <laughs> okay, it's like, oh, are you? Are you really? I don't fucking think so. Well, I mean, I had that visitor who pointed out to me at length that I really don't have any say on the matter, Um, which is fundamentally true. I can't stop anybody from doing anything that they're going to do. But I can make your life hell. I, I mean, the thing is, all I can do is say no. And whether or not anybody respects my wishes or not, is, you know, out of my control. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you couldn't take one of my EADs and finish it for your own benefit, Um, but if you posted it on the internet, I would do the one thing I've never done. And that would be to ask my readers to troll your ass until you disappeared. Because one thing I cannot tolerate is thievery. Don't steal my shit. Good Lord. That is what that. There is absolutely no way that that man can maintain an erection and be conscious at the same time. That is a club. That is not... That Do you have any idea where that would be in your body if he managed to get it all the way... It would be like up here near your lung. <sighs> Someone says it's obviously it's Photoshop, but I'm actually not seeing the evidence of Photoshopping. Um... Yeah, that's um, that's something else, man. I, I, yeah, that's I, not doable. And I'm not one to back down from a dick, but come on now. Well, it's like um, Samantha in Sex and the City. She met this guy who, she you know she was she was definitely the one who never backed down from a dick. And uh, she met this guy with this really big dick, and he said most women just wouldn't have anything to do with him. And she was so excited. And then she got the dick, and she was like, oh no. <laughs> she's like, how about I give you a blowjob kind of thing? Because she's like, that ain't going to fit. That's not going to fit anywhere. We need to get him a doll. It would have to be custom made. It couldn't even be like one of those standard ones. We would have to like get, you know, measurements and, you know, just be like, look, dude needs help. <laughs> We need to take up a collection. <laughs> we'll do a GoFundMe. So I, I was just I was just looking it up. There's um the, in 2015, um, 
Well, I guess there's a rival for it now, but in 2015, um, a man in Mexico was had a night almost a 19 inch penis, and um, it was purported to be the largest penis in the world at that time. The 19 inch dick. I guess in 2017, somebody came in um, with a uh, with a competitor with a competitor. I just don't think so. I just don't know what you can do with 19 inches. That you know can't be more effectively done with nine. We we uh. we 19 inches. We get him a GoFundMe fund me and do some surgery. Yes, yes, yes. I think that I think that the the, the unfortunate size of his penis contributed to a disability. I am. I don't even know how you would walk with that. Granted, I don't know how you walk with a dick anyway, but it just seems like it would be in the way. Yeah, constantly. Ancestor, how do you walk with a dick? You've got one. (laughs) Put you on the spot, my British friend. Well, according to that Cosmo article I shared on Facebook last night, um, apparently men walk by touching it as much as possible. <laughs> Is that, that article was so spread. Some dude wrote this article for Cosmo about things men secretly do with their penis that like, I guess women don't know about, but apparently all men know about. And one of the things he says they do is like touch it as much as possible when appropriate. <laughs> like he, <laughs> Like if one, I'm trying to remember how he phrased it because it was so, I just kind of basically busted a gut over how he phrased the whole thing. The article is called, I'll, I'll share it in, in Messenger, but it's called, in chat, it was called 11 Things Guys Secretly Do With Their Penises. And it was written by this guy called Cosmo Frank, I guess is the handle he writes with for Cosmo. And um, it was the just hold it ever so gently was number seven all the time, just walking around the house, doing chores and holding our penis, holding our penis while driving, not illegal, pretty much anything we can do with one hand, we'll use the other hand to hold our penis. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Straight from a dude. That's what they do. I totally believe that. One time I asked a guy in college, you know, how often do you jerk off? And his response was, every chance I get, as long as I have a semi-private location. (laughs) And semi-private is really key words there. <laughs> Whenever I have time in a semi-private location. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and number nine on his list was try to put it in their butt. And he said, just to see if we can. We don't, like, actually want to do it, okay? But we try. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they actually don't want to do it. Because we have I'm proof sure that do. there are men who do do it. Um, yeah. Do not post those gifts again. I can't handle it. I'm delicate today. Um, because damn, um, damn. And we have confirmation from a minion that they generally do touch it as much as possible. And hang and things who from it. And so one of the, one of the people um, who responded to my post has said that you know they a parent who's. Um, surgical nurses uh, uh, half conscious one of the first things men do most men do when they come out of surgery is check their junk <laughs> I don't even know what to say I don't even know what to say to that I was like really 
women just don't have anything we can compare with. I am not constantly touching my tits. You know, I did not come out of surgery and grow. I mean, unless maybe I'd had a breath, maybe had a breast reduction, you wake up and grab your boobs. But it just, if we just don't have anything we can, can compare to the need to get our, no, I don't, our hands on our junk, you know? No, that that's not something that really, I feel like I have to do. No. Okay, that's 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 waiting a little too much. Um, I have to put something prettier up. This 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 bouncing. I, I why do men bounce their dicks? I don't. This is not our topic. <laughs> why are we Why are we spent fifteen minutes talking about dick? Oh right, I lead a cockhorse. That's what cult. we do. <laughs> men want to be why? That's what we do. <laughs> We do. We talk about all dick. about the dick, all about the D, all about. It. I will. Here, I'm going to share an image. There. I don't want to see it. There. There's. Oh, that. see. Okay. I had to. I had to stop okay. the dick bouncing. There you go. Oh, I had. To, I. I. I, I finally cast. Everybody. I finally cast Henry. I finally cast Henry Potter. So, I will share Ooh. the face. God bless Canada. God bless Canada. Yeah. Thank you, Canada. That is something else. I don't. You guys are just a little bit too blessed. You've got you've got Justin Trudeau as your your awesome uh, prime minister, and then and then you've got this guy. And I just I it's can't hear. I can't pronounce that. I'm not even going to try to pronounce because that's French. That last name is French, and French and I are not friends in in the pronunciation. <laughs> the first name is be, Thomas. It's, wouldn't it be Bo, um, Baudon? That's what it what looks it like. But I call I call I call French the the the, the um, language of many superfluous letters. So. It could just be Thomas uh <laughs> for all I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you could have a word with 15 letters and it's like one vowel sound comes out. It's like, really? <laughs> Baudon? Maybe. I have no idea. This is why I didn't try to pronounce it. But he's beautiful. He's beautiful. And... And thank you, Canada, for making someone who could be conceivably the grandfather to Matt Bomer, who Kira incepted me into the headcanon of he's James Potter. So um, yeah, that was my criteria. That is my headcanon of life. I'm not ever going to be able to part with it. Yeah, mess with, mess with me. So now so I was looking for who could, who could, that's what was my criteria, looking for actors who could be related to Matt Bomer. So that was how I stumbled across Thomas. So. Oh, thank you, Canada. Okay, Sentinels, 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 Sentinels. Guides, whichever, whichever, whichever way you want to focus. Um, I think. I mean, I have so many plot bunnies. I love. I I love the Sentinel Guide meet that it because it's almost a soulmate thing. The way I at least I usually write it. Um, so and I love that trope 
So I have so many ideas for the Sentinel and Guide thing. So there's that, and I I, we, I mentioned them last night. But on the other hand, I always like to do. I'm always like trying to find new things to do, and and I think my brain. And the problem is everything I come up with that's kind of new is way too big <laughs> for 20k. So hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have some I have some things, and but all of them are are too big for 20k and um to the point where i was like you know what fuck it we'll just do 40k but that's not the challenge the whole challenge behind the whole the whole thing about july is um it's my yearly effort to teach you know phantom riders word economics because if there is anything more glorious um in in fandom it is the um the uh, the ability to write a 500k novel and your readers to be like yes Is there any more? <laughs> so it kind of creates this, this, um, it kind of expands you as a writer. And then, you know, you get into professional markets if that's your goal. And it's really hard to, to, um, to let go of that big format when you don't have a 150, 200K to tell a story. And so teaching, so learning and, and keeping that skill of, of doing a 20K novella is important. Don't need that. So that's why. And so, you know, but now I don't have any damn ideas that are 20K. <laughs> None. I have no ideas that are 20K. Because <clears throat> when you look at 20K, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's basically you have a three-act. Um, and um, yeah. I mean, in 20K, you can kind of you can kind of launch a bunch of stuff like um, for the for the the. the uh, the Sentinel, um, Steve, the, the mothership one, the one mothership Sentinel story I did, which was I think two, the first time we did Little Black Dress, mm-hmm. um, that was um, I had a lot of world building for that world that I never did anything with, nothing, because it, uh, I, you know, I didn't have the words really and for me in 20k if there's going to be any semblance of plot around the meeting um that's going to take the 20k so either i need to have a um a story that is they're already together and not focused on the meeting and then that's that's a really different beast something i haven't written before is a story that is not focused on the sentinel guy getting together um but I don't know what I would write it around. It would have to be some sort of drama in the something because it needs. I feel like it needs to be somewhat connected to the whole Sentinel Guide thing. Um, using the skills in some way, I guess you could do like a case fic of some kind, where there's some sort of Sentinel Guide-driven investigation. Um, I have one idea like that that may that I may be able to squeak by with 20k, but I don't know. Um, and basically, it's that Rodney was the only guide that went to Pegasus. And during the storm, 
when the Janai invaded Atlantis, John came online as a sentinel. Well, Rodney was his only choice. And when they reconnect with Earth, they both come back to Earth and the Sentinel Guide Center. Because Rodney's Canadian, they've never had any kind of access to his records, and so they offer John a new guide. On the assumption that McKay was just a stand-in and probably isn't a good match anyway. Ouch. So that's the idea I had, but I don't know what I would do with it, and I'm not sure if I have 20K. Obviously, I'm a McKay Shepherd shipper, so there's no way that that would end badly for Rodney. But just the idea of um, that kind of intrusion, you know, um, and having to defend that relationship, um, maybe in a situation where they're not even, like where, where McKay really isn't quite sure John wants to stay with him would be really interesting, you know. Or that maybe even John wasn't sure until they offered him someone new, and he's like, what? Fuck you, no. <laughs> Are you what? kidding no. me? <laughs> yeah, I'm not Why would they that. do that? Well, and John could really have clarity of thought if the government of Canada is lined up with a guide, with a sentinel for Rodney. <laughs> oh, that would be a hell no. <laughs> But McKay's been online for a while, so he would have met any Sentinels that might have been compatible with him. John was the one came one came online while Rodney was gone, though. That was compatible. That would be be a hell of a lot more than twenty k. Well, that's true. Okay, I'm trying to bloat your plot. Let's keep this streamlined. (laughs) Here comes plot bloat. I could do this. I could do that. I could do this. But the whole idea was that basically that that John would be on Earth, and um, he would he would have been bonded to McKay, and they're all like, "Are you are you sure you want to stay with him? Because he's an asshole, right?" <laughs> I mean, no one's gonna say anything if you say you want a new guide. I mean, we gotta expect you to want a new guide. <laughs> what do you mean you don't want a new one? Are you sure? <laughs> And maybe so even Rodney support you because he thinks he's you know an asshole too. He thinks he he doesn't think John will stay with him, and so it's kind of pleasantly surprising when he does. I can't type. Um, I like that idea. I like the idea of they. Because they're kind of in survival mode the whole time they're out there, so they right. wouldn't really, they wouldn't really be stopping to. Um, they're trying to function. They wouldn't really be stopping to assess their feelings, and then they come back to Earth and somebody goes, "Okay, we've got your guide. We've got lot of new guides for you to choose from," and John's like, "What?" <laughs> but I have a guide. <laughs> and then you know I could also kind of hit on um, some homophobia issues where he's offered a female guide. Um, because of his military placement and, you know, just that would be really interesting. But again, that that might push me over. Um, That'd probably push me over 20K. But it would be interesting, you know, to see all these military types going, wait, um, 
you want to keep your civilian male guide <laughs> when we have really? this this female guide that's you know in the air force and are you sure <laughs> this is what you want to do you know mm. so that would be but again i think that that if i got too deep into those issues it would go over 20k But I explored in, um, in in a delicate balance when I did um, Hotchner and um, um, Reed. We talked that that they weren't a perfect match, um, and that they bonded in an emergency situation. So, I, so I've already kind of done that once. But I think it would be different with McKay and Shepard. Yeah, I do think it would be. Sometimes, sometimes you can revisit the same theme and have it come out really differently. <clears throat> I did have another epic um, idea that I might be able to pare down. No, you've I've already tried that pare- once, and it was really deeply unhappy. You were unhappy. Well, but I could. This is more of a case of could I tell like a part of the story, you know, as opposed to strip down some of the idea, which was that, um, and we know how, you know, the Asgard feel about cloning, and I was pondering like there, you know, if, if what if, and it's so about genetic modification in general that they're really, um, um, they have a different view of that kind of thing. So I was thinking I had anyway, I had this idea that the Asgard had a, um, they're the ones who created the Sentinel Guide gene for the ancients. Um, not for the ancients themselves, but for these, you know, these children of theirs that they're spreading out across the galaxy to help protect the tribe and that kind of thing. But that, you know, they were like, maybe specifically on Earth, that they were, you know, part of the deal was that the Sentinels and Guides had to be treated well. And um, so when the Stargate, um, makes contact with the Asgard and the Asgard realize that, you know, Earth has progressed. They come to, when they come to Earth, they realize that Sentinels and Guide are not being treated all that well. And so they take them all. All of them. Wow. Every last Sentinel and Guide, all it was, it just take them all. <laughs> you fucked that up. <laughs> so, um, that'd be kids too. I think I could, I think I could lay the foundation for that in a single story in 20K, but um, it would kind of still be, you know, it would end at a point where there still would be a, a more story to be told in that in that arc, um, because I would have to, um, yeah, look at Asher. Asher's going, that's not a 20K story. <laughs> no. That's a 20K pilot for an episode series, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it'd be like it'd be like Primus, the first episode of Primus, um, which I think was what I did was twenty five k, which wasn't intended to be um, an epi- epi- episodic, but um, it, it wound up. It wound up. I re- I adjusted sh- I course midway in the writing because I knew it wasn't. I knew it was more complicated than I was had expected it to be. Um, that happened. I thought Tony could just go hunt a sentinel and I could get that out in 20K, and I was wrong. Um, 
So, but I mean, I could, yeah, I could, I could, I could do set up a first episode, but it's, um, I don't know. It's all my, all my ideas that I really am enamored with, with the Sentinel guide thing are the ones that really have captivated my attention are all bigger ideas, like a hundred K ideas at least. Um, and um, that's a struggle because I do, I really appreciate the intention of, um, you know, boot camp to teach the, the word economics. Um, so I really want to come up with an idea that, that is, is, is more contained than. I would feel like um, two parts of a two part, Part one and part two of the same story in the challenge would feel kind of like cheating. Um, even yeah. if I could get them both to stand alone, them being part of the same universe in the same challenge would feel a little. Hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. It, it, it would feel like cheating. Yeah. Like I was gaming the system. I thought about doing some doing the because um, one of the things is like with with the stories I've done. Um, not all of them, but some of them, um, they, because we only get to the part of like meet and get together and whatever plot around that, um, it's really easy to write a sequel to one of those that does pretty much stand alone because it's easy to, like in the, in the um, mothership one, um, in order to establish what happened in the first story, all I have, it's like two lines about, how Tony and a bunch of guides have been kidnapped and, you know, Steve had discovered that, you know, Tony was his guide. And I've covered what was really relevant about the first story that you need to know for the second story. So it's not like I have to give a whole lot of exposition to explain the first story. So those are pretty easy to do a sequel that can stand on its own as a separate story. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, in those in those cases, for two of the stories I'm thinking of, I've got the world building done, and I've got you know all the stuff I never used. I would just have to have a storyline about why these two, what's relevant about the next stage in their journey. Because I, you could do kind of a slice of life thing, but that's never been really my thing. Slice of life stories are never really my. As a writer, it's not really kind of my jam. No, I mean, like if a 5,000, like a a three or 4,000 word story, Slice of Life is one thing, but 20K, I'm not sure I could do 20K of Slice of Life. It would be like, okay, I'm going to kill somebody now. <laughs> I need a body here. Someone's going to die. <laughs> Rocks fall. Um, Somebody asked about the Lucifer story. The Lucifer story is kind of in limbo um, because as I was writing that story, I felt like I had underestimated Tony's reaction to finding out that he was the guide of the devil. Um, So I felt like that uh, in order to kind of deal with the fallout of that and in an appropriate way that it was going to make that original story quite a bit longer than it was. Um, or at least I needed to have a clearer idea of what that fallout was going to be. Um, because I thought I felt I went into the writing thinking Tony was going to really shrug that off. Um, and I don't think he, it's not a matter of him like, you know, 
clutching his pearls and being indignant about the fact that it's the devil. I think it's more, um, it's such a big thing, you know, um, it's such a, a overwhelming thing to have an archangel, you know, find, find out that you're the soulmate of the devil and um, that your spirit guide is an angel. It was just, I felt in the, when I was writing it, I went, okay, I underestimated I think he's going to roll the punches fairly well, but it's not just going to be, you know, convivial bliss from this point on. He, it, there's going to be more fallout. So writing a sequel to that story would be problematic since I haven't sort, sorted out all those issues at this point. I really do like that story, and I really want to explore that more at some point. Um, Well, the sequel might be 20K, uh, but I would need to finish the first story first. So that, is, that, would, be a, a, that would be a gate. That would be a gate. Um, and also, I think of everything I've written, that's the one that would stand alone the least. Um, the one where Tony's kidnapped, I can, you know, I can cover what happened in the first story very easily and keep a, a contained second story. Um, the story with um, the Tony Hotch story, I could contain that one really easily and tell a sequel. Um, the Lucifer story is not really easy to contain um, what happened in the first story and not explain it. So it would now, require um, a lot of exposition. Yeah. For me, you know, it would be, there's two there's two kinds of reactions here. One, you either believe in the devil and you're like, holy shit, it's the devil. Or you don't believe in the devil and you're like, it's it's rocked the foundations of everything you are. Wait. There really is a God. There really is a devil. There really is a hell. And I'm the soulmate of the devil. <laughs> That's right. and Tony, a lot to take in. Either way, right? Right. Yeah, and Tony kept telling, he kept telling, um, he told Gabriel, as I recall, um, he said something on the line, does it matter at this point that I'm an atheist? And Gabriel's like, I've had many interesting conversations with atheists. What is it exactly that you struggle to believe in? That it could be this or that it could be this? And Tony's just kind of like, dude, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what to um, think anymore. So for him, um, uh, yeah, like you said, either way, whether you believe it or you don't, finding out the truth of that would, would kind of rock your world. And so it's not something that, um, and I really thought he was just going to kind of shrug it off. And then I'm writing it and going, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> no. I don't think anybody could shrug it off one way or the other, right? Whether you're a believer right. or a non-believer, it's like, it's going to, it's going to mess you up. Ugh. I'm just gonna miss you up. Got to get as southern as possible in that moment. Did you? Could you tell? <laughs> I was. It, it was. It was. It was very uh, a flat and junk kind of moment. Yeah, it was very flat and junk. Oh no! Did I do that? <laughs> wait, um, wait. Let me let me get my. So, let me get my, how'd you say it? Let me get my cellular out and call you a wrecker. Call your wrecker, yeah. Oh, wait. Call your wrecker. I don't have a phone, because I'm a pothole. (laughs) (laughs) Commercial ever. (laughs) It really is. Um, We're 
have to put a link to the Geico commercial in the in the notes because people are going to be like, "What are you guys?" If they if people hadn't heard the first short junk, they're going to be like, "What the fuck are they talking about with potholes and cellular phones <laughs> and calling your wrecker?" What? <laughs> Well, at least it's not moving. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. I can't do the exact I can't do same thing. I just can't do waving. I can't do waving dicks. They're too distracting. They're too distracting. Static. Is it just me, or does that guy getting blown look disturbingly like John Shepard? Maybe not disturbingly. That might be the wrong choice of words, but word choice, but. I'm going to a different tab for a little while. I don't need to get a look at that. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I was trying to think of like, I was thinking like, what are some of my favorite Sentinel Guide stories? And you know, I just completely blanked. <laughs> That's just crazy. I love Sentinel Guide stories. Why am I blanking on what my favorites are? Uh, Um, yeah, some of there's. I think how long is that story? Um, John Shepard, the man whore years. Yeah, yeah, you could tell someone as pretty as that definitely probably had a man whore phrase, and who could blame him? Yeah, so was that pretty? I would have too. Oh wait, I did. <laughs> I had the man whore years for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally had some man whore years. <sighs> eh. And don't worry. If you didn't, I had enough for you too. <sighs> well, I mean, I was not thinking about like my, one of my favorite... Uh, Oh, that's forty two thousand words, but it is it is quite a bit of plot. Um, one of my favorite stories, but it, it's not so much a Sentinel Guide AU as it is a story that has Jim and Blair in it. Um, is Scorpions by Lady Raw? Remember that one? It's the one where Jim shows up from another dimension in the middle of the SGC, covered in scorpions, and he needs the Jim and Blair, the the Blair of that dimension, his. Other dimension, Jim, his Blair has been kidnapped by, I want to say Apophis, but I could be wrong about who took him. Um, and he needs that dimension's Blair to help heal him and help him find. And uh, that's just he doesn't know about Sentinels or anything like that. And it kind of leads to, you know, Jim and Blair joining um, the SGC. So that's not a I didn't Sentinel read guide. That. You, you did or didn't? I didn't. You haven't read Scorpions, really? Yeah, oh, I know um, oh, it's okay because I don't actually. Um, here's the thing about me: I don't. Outside of Lady Holder's works, I don't actually read SG One Fic. Unless it's crossover with um, Atlantis. The, the SG One Fic I read the most. Uh, it's pretty much it's pretty much crossovers with. Um, um, with S- with uh, Sentinel, um, there was um, 
Um, uh, sorry, there was a um, – I lost the chat room, so I'm distracted. Uh, I have too many tabs open. That's how I lose the chat room. Whenever I say that, too many tabs open. Um, there was actually Sentinel and SG-1 uh, crossovers were so popular. There actually was a Yahoo group, I think, called like SG-1 uh, Cascade to SG-1 or something like that. And it was just for crossovers for Sentinel um, and SG-1, which is how I started actually reading Stargate fic was through um, Sentinel stories. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a really – I mean, that whole scene with the Scorpions, him coming through with the Scorpions and demanding that they produce Blair um, – was really was in like was the first scene, so that's not a huge spoiler for anybody. Um, that's that's where the story starts is with this dude from another dimension, covered in scorpions, dropping in on them, um, and saying, "I need Blair, I need Blair," and they're like, "Who? You don't have Blair working for you? What's the matter with you, fuckers?" And I think one of the things I liked about it really one it was one of the one of the stories I read where Blair was really empowered. Um, and they did, she did some really interesting world building with what guides can do and what their function is um, for a sentinel. Um, it, was, it was really fascinating. Um, yeah, they had that. They had the portal device. Yeah. So she had some really interesting stuff in that. I do highly recommend that story. Uh, it's my favorite. Uh, one of my favorite sent, sent, non-sentinel AU stories. Um, I do tend to prefer sentinel AUs over um, straight, you know, sentinel crossovers. Uh, so, but of the of the straight Sentinel crossover, it's definitely one of my favorites. Um, that's forty two k, but it's very you know very plot driven um, because the Jim and Blair, well, the Jim and the Blair from the other universe are together, but the Jim and the Blair from this universe are not. But they're, they're, them getting together isn't really a big focus of the story. So, um, I feel like I'm just having a big old blank on Sentinel AUs. I mean, my favorite, favorite Sentinel, true Sentinel AU, where it's not just, you know, Jim and Blair or a few random Sentinels and guides here or there, is Sentinels of Atlantis. So that's my, that's my favorite, favorite. Um, oh well, thank you. I can't, I can't talk to you about your own tropes. So yeah, you can. Yeah, go of, ahead. I'm trying to, I'm trying. Well, I mean, I'm trying to think of Sentinel tropes that are, what are tropes in the AUs that. Um, make for good plotting. I liked, one of the things I really liked, I mean, the, 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 one, of the, one of the things that really jumps out to me about that um, that I really liked was one of the things that makes it an epic, right? It makes it a big story was that whole awakening thing that happened at the end um, and all the world building around how Sentinels and Guides communicate and who they are and um, so, but the, Man, I mean, those, building those, up those... that awakening was nerve-wracking. Um, the whole time, the whole time I was building these episodes, I was I was putting it in there. I was planting it, you know, that the psionic plane, um, um, that basically the universe is, is like bobbing in the psionic plane like a cork, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, it, it just, that whole stretch and then Patrick in the chair with John, it, it was just, I just built the whole time. And I thought, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? And then when I had them in the pools and, and they were all meeting in that, that psionic space um, in the temples, I was like, is, that, is, this, is this enough? Is this enough? Am, am I building it enough? And then when I did it, I was like, 
I wasn't quite sure if I accomplished it. The, if it resonated through the whole series the way I wanted it to. And so, you know, because you have this vision when you're in it, and it's kind of hard to see the outside to see if you actually accomplished it. <clears throat> I just waved my hands all over the place. That's why I didn't hit myself. <laughs> and you did. I mean, it was, it was, it was great. But I mean, that, that element, that, that piece about that awakening, about something occurring and building and changing to cause that renewal or the awakening of um, sentinels and guides or, or whatever that that whole thing is that's an epic that's epic world building. You can't throw that out in twenty k. And it's sort of like throwing time travel into a story, and not doing anything with it, or throwing um, you you throw a big concept into a story and you don't do anything with it. It's like why? So like let's say you have a a character who can um, travel to other dimensions, and like you bring it up, they can travel to other dimensions, but they don't ever travel to another dimension. It's sort of like you're kind of like looking around for what the point of that was. Um, so it's like you can't just, you know, it's not, you can't throw a giant concept into a little, a little puddle and not kind of obliterate the puddle with the concept because people are kind of the moment they're looking for, well, what is the purpose of this concept? And that's not really short story mechanics. That's throwing a giant story and trying to, you know. Which Sentinels Atlantis is a giant story. It is um, a giant story. You've but got I seeded that whole awakening thing and the ability and the, and the psionic plane oh, being so along. big and so connected. It, but I really seeded it when John found Vala. Oh yeah, because he used the Stargate yeah, yeah. to do it. Yeah, they connected. And that was the, the beginning. Stargate open. Yeah. So you, I mean, you definitely built that big concept up to it having a purpose for the why that awakening was happening and um you know which is it was kind of the inspiration for the um the star trek au that i did where sentinels and guides mm-hmm. kind of died off on earth and it's basically because they poisoned their the way i kind of did it they kind of poisoned their psionic well with their mistreatment of guides um and um it was like so it was kind of the world building i did for that was that like every planet is kind of like a well and there's like, you know, psionic energy moves like rivers through the universe, but each planet is kind of a pool of it and how psionic energy evolves is differently on every planet, which is why you have telepaths in some places and empaths in others. And um, basically the well on earth got poisoned um, and then the sentinels and guides left and then no more ever came online. And um, the psionic um, backlash of Vulcan being destroyed um, caused a, a, a sentinel to come online on Earth. And um, the Federation sends for help to these, you know, the sentinels and guides that live elsewhere on another planet. Um, and I can't remember the name of the planet that I named. But anyway, the, it's, it's not a Federation planet. Um, but they had left an agreement that if they should ever have sentinel guide issues, that they would you know, help, uh, that they ask for help. And um, so the, the Enterprise is sent to pick up um, the delegation from this planet and bring them back to Earth. And what they find when they bring the shaman back to Earth is that the well is poisoned and that sentinels and guides are going to start coming online, but it's not going to go smooth or go well 
if they don't clean 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 the psionic energy base, clean the psionic plane. And the shaman's capable of doing it. And part of the whole story arc is, um, does he want to? Is it um, a risk he wants to take? Is Earth better than it was? Have they learned from their mistakes? Are they going to treat sentinels and guides well? Da 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 da. Um, but that is not a teeny idea. No. No. It's not teeny. It's not teeny at all. And what I had done, because I wanted to write something um, pre-Into Darkness, because um, I wanted the um, Khan and his um, his people to all be sentinels um, who were genetically programmed in the eugenics program to not need a guide to function without a guide. Um, but they had always felt one of the reasons why they went so batshit nutty is because they had this imperative to protect the guides and they felt a longing for guides, but they were incapable of forming bonds because of the genetic manipulation that had been done to them. Um, and of course I have to save Christopher Pike because that shit just has to be undone. No, um, it didn't happen. So yeah. So this, um, this shaman that comes to earth encounters, um, on before he has blown up the archive and realizes what he is and that he can heal him, he can fix him. Because there hadn't been a shaman on earth in a long time, even before they evacuated. So that was kind of my, um, it was leading up to um, not only getting sentinels and guides back to earth, but healing Khan and his people and taking them back to this planet where the sentinels and guides are, um, thereby averting Christopher Fike's death. So in even, even the tiny piece of that, even if I carved off a first episode of that, it would still be big. So, but that whole, that inspiration of that all came out of the whole idea of the, the awakening at the end of the season one of Sentinels Atlanta. So, um, I don't know whether to apologize or <laughs> sometimes you don't want a big idea in your head. <laughs> like, no, I don't have room for that. <laughs> Why'd you do that to me? <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, I never apologize. I mean, most of my ideas tend to be bigger anyway. Yeah. I need to work. I, I, I know. I like July. I need to work on that short story thing. So, um, the funny thing is, I think that there's also kind of a, I don't know. Sometimes when I write a short story, I go, but I could do so much more with this. <laughs> and I go, but that's not the point. I'm supposed to be writing a short story. Stop trying to do more with it. It's totally not the point. If I were to do just a come online and meet and greet thing, I probably would do that idea where Tony comes online while he's being interrogated by um, Salim Oman in Somalia with the Steve Seal team in the wings. That's probably the meet and greet one I would do. I call them meet and greet up, meet and greet Sentinel stories. Um, I wouldn't mind doing a meet and greet for Tony and Steve on the Seahawks. That'd be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. I had a very short idea for on the Seahawks where like the one or the other of them is already on board 
when the other one lands. And it was, and they're both online. <laughs> it's like instantly, oh, my guy just arrived. <laughs> hey. Excuse me. Wow, you're pretty. Excuse me while we go blonde. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be busy for a while. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be back in a week, cancel all of his missions. So, um, but that's just a kind of like a mini meet and greet idea, right? Didn't even have any plot attached to it. It was more of a an excuse for bonding sex. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know. I mean, what? <laughs> there's nothing wrong with an excuse for bonding. But it'll be short. This, that actually, I think that would be under the word count. Um, although in July, I would, I would personally, for me, for challenging myself, if I had to choose between coming under word count or going over, I would come under um, just because of my challenges with being too wordy that if I ever was like five or 600 or even a thousand words under and I was done, I would just let it be done. Because I just, have, <laughs> yeah, I just have such a hard time with staying short, you know, which was why that one story I wrote for a bang that came in at 500 words under the minimum. And they told me I had to hit the minimum. I was like, wow, I have to go put another scene in shit. So I wasn't pleased. I like the idea of a Sentinel Guide conspiracy thing, kind of thing, like plotting against Sentinels and Guides or something. Something that I could untangle um, in 20K. I'm just trying what to think about What could you untangle in 20K? I would have a hard time explaining the conspiracy in 20K. You much less untangling it. <laughs> Well, that's true. Hmm. People are doing bad things, and we found out about it, and what are we going to do about it? Kill everybody. Oh, okay. Somebody's going to get it. Fuck you very much. Um, The, uh, yeah. Conspiracy is not a short plot point. This is why the meet and greet is... um, such a popular short story is because it's so containable in, in short story format. Um, if I even wrote a plot based, really plot driven story, a heavily plot driven story in like 75 K, I would be pleased. Like very pleased. <laughs> that would be, that'd be really good word economy for me because um, most of my really yeah. heavily plot driven stories are, you know, I'd have to. I'm trying to rein myself not to go over 100k. So, but something where the plot is the romance or the game together or the soul bond or the whatever that is, whatever mechanism you choose, that is um, something that can be. Is it's shorter, um, and so I'm am I'm also intrigued by the. I I do think the more I think about it, the more I think that I could at least get at least tell the part of the story where Tony and Steve adopt Harry Potter. I think I could at least tell that part of the story in 20K. I couldn't detangle the mess of the British wizarding world. That would be like a whole other thing because that's the whole conspiracy aspect, right, that turns it into a big old – But I could have Tony double bird. No pun intended. Double bird Britain. Yeah. He could double bird Britain on his way to the, you know, port key and say, we're going back to America, bitches. See ya. Um, I'm not dealing with your shit. Maybe that's somebody else to figure it out. 
I have a kid now. Um, I don't know. All right. It's your turn. Give me an idea. My turn. Uh, You know what would be really interesting? Like if... um, like if one of the wizards was like, well, you just can't take Harry Potter, and Steve pulls out a gun and shoots that wizard. <laughs> I am going to try that, that again. <laughs> Would you like to wave your stick some more? <laughs> Please do. I had a really good time with that. It'd be really amusing. I, um, I've been percolating on several ideas where, um, like, uh, it, because I am currently writing in Harry Potter, I keep hitting Harry Potter ideas, which I'm not going to do in July because I cannot contain myself. Um, because either either I I just I can't contain myself. But um, I like the idea that Harry comes online before he goes to Hogwarts, and like as a sentinel. And they think they have all these secrets from him, and they have none. They have no secrets. He knows everything. You know, and they don't what know he's a kid. I'm jumping on your. I'm jumping on your plot. What if? Go ahead. It actually. What if it? Because uh, what, what if like being a sentinel like Petunia and Vernon were like that was like that was okay. Because it was it was a good thing in in the Muggle world to be a Sentinel. It was a respected mm-hmm. thing. And if Harry comes online as a Sentinel fairly young, he might not he might not be filled really fondly towards his family, but it could change the way they treat him. And he oh, yeah, be getting a bunch of a bunch of training at the Sentinel Guide Center and be really in a very different a different kid when he goes to Hogwarts. But I was thinking to myself, where would a Sentinel Harry, who came online before he went to Hogwarts, who wasn't severely mistreated by the Dursleys, even if they didn't love him, they weren't mean to him because, you know, he's a Sentinel, he would have a pride. Um, if I went with my big verse, which I like to do, um, and I was trying to figure out where he would sort, and I don't think he would sort to Gryffindor. Although I'm really enamored with my Harry Potter who's in Ravenclaw. I, I never thought I would be. I always thought if I wrote a Harry Potter being sorted somewhere else, he'd end up in Slytherin. But I was like, and he ended up in Ravenclaw. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm just, I'm really kind of in love with the idea of of him, you know, owning I, it. I have, in Ravenclaw. I have this. I have this headcanon that's emerging as I'm as I'm sitting here pondering what you're saying, that magical sentinels would always sort in Hufflepuff. That makes sense to me. They're ultimately loyal to the guide to the tribe. Where else would they go? I think guides could be all over it, but I think the Sentinels would wind up in Hufflepuff. But I do think Sentinels and guides, um, even if they're not bonded together yet, would sort the same. I think that compatibility would...
or maybe even the sorting hat would be like, okay, you you know what? Um, I see something I can't tell you about. Um, it's pretty cool, and you're gonna like it. Uh, Hufflepuff. <laughs> oh, he could be saying that to the guides. Yeah, having that yes, conversation. Yeah. Like, I can't. You you tell think you're a really good fit for for Ravenclaw, but I just gotta tell you that you really do belong in Hufflepuff. <laughs> you'll and there's a reason. Face. You'll find out why someday. And then Hufflepuff gets all these really awesome kids who should be in Ravenclaw because they're super smart, and there's really cunning ones that should have been in Slytherin, and really brave, reckless ones that should have been in Gryffindor, and they're all in Hufflepuff (laughs) (laughs) because because they're guides. (laughs) Trust me on this. Thought of one of my favorite Sentinel um, AUs, full full AUs. Since I've just had the horrible blank of all time earlier, and of course now it's all coming back to me. I'm looking to see how long it was. So like how long? It's probably I think it's 40k, but I'm I'm looking it up. <laughs> oh, 66k. <laughs> yeah, that's the Oak and the Ash by Sunrider. I love. I didn't Oak figure that Ash. was a short one. It is. It is incredibly tight. It is um, it very is well done. It is. Yeah. It feels like a hundred k, but it's sixty six. Um, yeah, that is a really beautiful Sentinel AU. I could do a Sentinel fusion. Like redo the Sentinel with a different characters. Not like literally reduced Sentinel. How is that but, 20K? Hush, quit. You just burst my bubble. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be the only one who was thinking that. Chat room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just tell the whole Sentinel with new characters. Okay, okay, okay. I was thinking Steve and Tony because that's what I always think, but yeah, that w- wouldn't be. I could I could tell them I could tell them meeting and and Tony going, you're a sentinel. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so first you're gonna have to tell us all about Tony's upbringing and um, his academic background that would lead him to to know what sentinels are. Oh hush, you bubble burster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're my girl, but that's crazy. Come on now. Come on now. I know. It's it's not short. It's not short. I know. None of mine are short. It, it, it's a problem. Um, I do like the idea of a hidden sentinel, though. Someone who, who slides under the radar, who, who knows shit they shouldn't know, and trolls people with it. <laughs> that is funny. It's just, it's, just, it's just amusing to me, that's all. Well, one of the ways to explore, the if you're going to do, do the meet and greet, um, one of the things to do is to do it with a pairing I haven't really done before um, to make it feel a little more fresh in my own mind. Um, but I don't know what pairing I would do. Because one of the things that has to really capture my imagination, right, for me to want to sit down and 
and do the thing. Do do the writing thing. Oh. Oh God, I I'm not sure it's very Remember that thing you had about Tony being somebody's grandson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if that thing that made that somebody special was basically a rediscovery of sentinel genetics? Oh. That's not 20K. No, no, but it's a, it's it's a curious thing, right? It is a curious thing. So I'll go ahead. We'll go ahead. We'll go ahead and I don't want to. I don't want to plot tease. Um, I will. Yeah, right. That. I mean, it's one of the things. One of the things that's advantageous about discussing these things on the podcast is if anybody hijacks the idea and goes off and writes it, I can at least publicly shame them and prove that that, that I had the idea. You know, way back when. So whatever. But. Um, we're doing this um, for the challenge in November. Um, I'm doing what I, my leading contender for that story is that Tony is um, Steve, Steve Rogers' grandson. And um, I have a whole, they all plot worked out for this. And that um, he's got this sort of, this sort of dormant form of the super soldier serum unactivated in his system. And uh, Hydra finds it and kidnaps him. Um, which brings Phil Coulson out of hiding because Phil Coulson's been the one who took over from Peggy Carter, keeping an eye on Steve's descendants that Steve does not know about. Um, and so Phil has to come out and they have to explain that Phil's not dead because Phil's, you know, Steve's grandson has dropped off the grid and they have video of Hydra agents picking him up and that gets Steve involved. And Hydra is this one Hydra scientist is successful at activating um, the super soldier serum in, in Tony. So what Kira's talking about is what if what made Steve special and made it possible for Steve to, to make the super soldier serum work um, is, is latent sentinel genetics, dormant sentinel genetics. I'm finding that very intriguing. I mean, it just it just kind of popped into my head when I was sitting here thinking about um, various aspects of that. And, and um, but one idea, um, I did a story uh, with it's called "With Your Heart on Your Sleeve," where Thor's hammer, when it fell to Earth, it um, it reactivated soul marks. It brought the magic of soulmates back to Earth, and people started mm-hmm. getting their soul marks and responding to soulmates. But what if the falling of Thor's hammer? woke up sentinels and guides. I think that would be because it's like really interesting. But it's basically the when Thor's hammer fell, it was a um it was the beginning of a cascade of threats to Earth. Because Loki suddenly had a new playground, and, and then there was Thanos and, 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 the, and the Chitauri. So it's like when Thor's hammer fell to Earth, it, it opened up this universe of threats. Hmm. I like that. 
I did something a little bit on that line um, with um, all your reasons, except it wasn't so much the hammer landing on Earth as it was the uh, the Rainbow Bridge, the connection to this to, to Midgard, um, had sort of reconnected. I don't know, like reconnected the psionic well, um, and caused, started causing shit to happen. Um, So I think there's something really interesting in the idea of of this connection from from Asgard or from wherever, but Thor's hammer. Um, have you seen Thor Ragnarok yet? I have not. I have it, but I have not watched it yet. There's something I'm then I'm not going to say because it's a big spoiler for something that happened in Ragnarok. Um, But I do oh have God, it. That I, is, I have. That is such an interesting idea. Um, okay, you watch that, oh. and after you watch it, come back to me. Um, there's something that happened in Thor Ragnarok that could actually be a different impetus for Sentinels and Guides coming back online. That still relates. The to idea the that the Hulk is Bruce Banner's feral sentinel Sentinel is interesting. It is interesting. Especially when you look at the history of Bruce Banner's character and you know where the Hulk comes from. Where where Bruce's anger is 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 rooted and that's watching his father beat his mother to death. Yeah, I do think this is a really interesting idea, which would mean a guide would be really good for Bruce for the Hulk. Especially for the Hulk. Yeah. I'll put this question to you, and after you see Thor Ragnarok, you can tell me what, what you think of, of the question. Um, okay. What if, and you'll, you'll understand why, why Thor Ragnarok is a, is, would, be, would change the answer to this question. What if the Thor's hammer um, is like the key to, um, or the it's the key to the the abilities for Sentinels and Guides. And then watch Thor Ragnarok, and with stuff in there about the hammer, and and then decide what would happen after the end of that movie to Sentinels and Guides. Actually, it's in the first half hour. Yeah, it's early, it's early in the movie. It's not in the end of the movie that it happens. It's early. So that's an interesting idea because you brought up Thor's hammer having something to do with Sentinels and Guides. And I think you're going to find something that happens in that movie very interesting. So go watch it. You will okay. like the whole movie. You will like the whole movie. But um, it's, it's, My husband it's, said it's, it was the best Thor that was made. It is. And I think it's, I think it's actually one of the best movies in the whole Marvel franchise. Um, that that they were really on point with that one. So, yeah. And it's fun. It's fun. It doesn't go this kind of because Thor: The Dark World got very kind of bleak in tone. Um, 
Hence, so Thor, the title. Thor Ragnarok still has. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Thor Ragnarok still has um, some dark themes, but they approach it with some humor. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it was really, uh, really well done. Um, I almost didn't see it in the theaters, and then I saw it like twice in a row, practically. And I saw it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to see that again. I saw it like right the week, the last week it was in the theaters, and I saw it twice that week. That's cool. I saw it and went, oh, I, I need this again. I need it again right now. <laughs> so I did I did come up with some world building for what made the super soldier thing work outside of the whole Sentinel thing. Because the Sentinel thing is an interesting, like latent Sentinel genetics is an interesting spin on um, – Um, uh, it's an interesting spin on why why Steve was successful as an experiment. Um, uh-huh. But the initial my initial implementation of it was is the scientist kind of figures out this kind of he's kind of a crazy scientist. Now listen to him is he he's looking at the kind of inventory of what they had um, in the lab. And he was like, "Why did they? Why was why this? You know, vibranium is so rare. Why did they have so much of it laying around that they could just build a shield out of it? Because that was just that was kind of like a throwaway in the Captain America movie. It's like, oh well, we have the shield. It's like, why did they have vibranium around that they could just make random things with? Um, because after the green scene, the Black Panther movie, it's incredibly rare, and they really work hard to keep it out of the hands of." Out of uh, out of uh, you keep it in within Wakanda, um, and so the thing I came up with was that it's gamma that you need the vibranium with the gamma rays to produce the so-called Vita rays that activate mm-hmm. the Super Soldier Serum. So the key element was the vibranium that they um, had in the lab, is what made Steve successful, and only um, Howard Stark and Erskine um, know knew. What those what the elements were to produce vital rays and Howard Stark never told anybody. So that's why he's successful at producing turning Tony into a super soldier as opposed to creating another Hulk. That's really, yeah. Because I have to explain shit. I have to. I can't just, you know, go, it somehow magically worked. There has to be a reason why it magically works. Here's my thing. I have a question. How much bullshit from S.H.I.E.L.D. is Steve Rogers supposed to take before somebody gets punched in the face? Because I'm thinking... That whoever has to tell him that not only did he have a kid, but he has a grandson that they didn't tell him about is going to get punched in the face. By the way, you have a grandson um, and your daughter is dead. Um, and Hydra has your, your grandkid. I wouldn't want to be the one to, to deliver that news. Unfortunately, I'm going to have Phil do it. Um, but, but, well... Nick Fury has to be there to explain why Phil is alive, because everybody's like PO'd about that. 
um, been on um, Phil's sort of before Phil was stabbed in the heart, um, he had planned to talk about, at least sound out the issue with, because in the way I've done the world building is Nick Fury knows the existence of um, this kid, but they don't know him. They don't know um, who he is. They don't know who his identity, what his identity is. Um, so Fury knows that Steve Rogers has a grandson out there, but he doesn't actually know um, who he is. Only Phil knows that. And um, so when um, when Phil find, when Phil gets word that something has happened, he contacts Nick and says, "We have to talk to Steve." And um, and that's when Steve, I mean, Nick has to reveal the whole Project Tahiti thing and what they'd done to Phil and that he's been keeping Phil away from the Avengers and all that kind of crap. So I think I think Phil would he's have the ass whooping on several levels. Oh yeah. Point. He's in so much trouble. He's in so much trouble. And so are you going to mean that Tony um, Civil War didn't happen, or we're going to? I mean, we're going to avert Civil War with all of this, right? Because this all is happening right after the Avengers movie. So um, okay, good. Because I don't want to read about the Civil War. <laughs> there'll be no Civil War. There'll be no Ultron. There'll be none of those shenanigans. Um, and by the way, I do mean Tony Denozo, folks. <laughs> Tony Stark. Because. Tony Stark cannot be Steve Rogers' grandson because he's banging Steve, and that would be just gross. That'd be terrible. I'd never recover. Right. There's what civil war? There's no civil war. Tony and Steve can't have a civil war if they're banging. (laughs) That's right. There's not going to be a civil war. Couples don't have civil wars. They have vehement discussions in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Tony Stark is banging Steve. No, I mean, we still don't. We still don't have. Short story ideas. I mean, I've got short. That's not true. I have a lot of short story ideas. It's just nothing has really, like, you know, grabbed me by the proverbial balls yet and said, you have to write me. No. Not that I give my, not that I give, you know, not that I'm trying to anthropomorphize my, you know, plot ideas, but um, some ideas really do captivate you. They just kind of, you know, that's, that said, um, um, with a Sentinel story, usually once I get into writing them, I'm captivated by them because it's a Sentinel story. I mean, come on, that's like I don't know. It's like candy. I know, right? It's like it may not be the most captivating plot I've ever come up with because the most captivating plots are not, you know, in my in my world, they're not twenty k. Um, are you still there? Yeah, I just I was uh, yeah, but but you you can get into I got distracted by something I read. Um, you can get you can get into writing. I can get if I like the idea, even if it's not 
um, the enormous Star Trek plot that I have, if it's not one of these big plots that really just make me want to sit down and write, 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 write. Once I get into a Sentinel short story, A, I know I can execute it. And B, it's a Sentinel story. It's like, it's like, like I said, it's like candy. It's like going trick-or-treating. I know I'm going to be able to do that. So I have a lot of I meet-and-greet ideas I like, and there's something that will shake out of that that I could do. Um, I was trying One to thing I haven't common. done is a non-Stargate Stargate AU. You know what I mean? Like there's no Stargate? Stargate doesn't exist? Mm, Okay. I've done that FBI one, but... Yeah. I really wasn't enamored with it after I got started. Yeah, sometimes some ideas, you kind of get into them and they kind of... Because some things, it's like... The science... Um, or whatever the aspect of that show is that captures your attention is when you take that um, aspect away. Sometimes you're okay and sometimes you're not. Um, well, it's really interesting because one of my favorite um, AUs for Stargate is a non-Stargate AU, and that's Fair Trade. I love Fair Trade. But, but that's not your own writing. No, it's not. I wish there's a lot of things. Yeah, well, there's a lot of things I really love to read. Tropes I love to read. Pairings I love to read. That I I can't. I just can't write. Um, Actually, somebody wrote me a while ago. Times a bit of a blur lately, so it wasn't too long ago, but it wasn't like yesterday. That sometimes when I say that for me as a writer it doesn't work, that I sound like I'm a little bit judgy on the idea, and that that's not what I mean. Is I can really love science fiction and never be able to write science fiction and never want to write science fiction so it's not it's not a a saying that you know that doesn't it's it's not a judgment on the idea at all because there's literally literally the dozens and dozens hundreds of stories in genres and using tropes and pairings that I would never write that I adore um, One of my favorite stories read. ever, I would never even approach trying to write something like it. And that would be Freedom is Just Nothing, just Another Word for Nothing Left to Lose. Um, I would never in a million years write something like that, but it is literally my favorite fanfic in fandom. It will tear my heart out once a year when I read it, um, and I would never write anything like it, but I love it to the depths of my soul. Right, because there's some themes that as a writer you don't want to write, but you may be perfectly fine with reading them. So, you know, whenever I say that, that it wouldn't work for me as a writer, it's not that I'm harshing on the idea. It's just is I know me, and I know what is not doesn't gel for me craft-wise. Uh, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it, and it certainly doesn't mean that I wouldn't delight be happily read it if somebody else wrote it. And Sandstorms really on Mithron is fucking phenomenal. Um, I read it not as often as I read the other one. Um, fantastic writing, fantastic premise, amazing story. Um, I would never in a million years write it because I can't. I can't torture my Rodney like that. But I read the hell out of it. Yeah. Sometimes you just. There's things you can and can't do as a writer, 
things that capture your imagination, your attention. Um, things also, it's a lot easier with some themes. You have more distance as a reader than you do as a writer. So there are some angst themes that I will read that I could never write because I wouldn't have enough distance as the writer to not be destroyed by that. And I yeah, I mean, I've people had, who can write that stuff. So I can read it when I have the mental space to do so. Yeah, and some of those things that are tough, that are that are tough reads. Um, um, I do have to be in the right headspace. I consider uh, "Sandstorms" by Mithron to be transcendent. It is a stunning accomplishment. Um, fan fiction or otherwise. It is just an amazingly well-written story. Um, It's stunning and horrific and galling and it is just everything you want a story to be and I could never in a million years write something like it but I just could torture writing that way but it is mind-blowing. So I highly recommend that you read Sandstorms by Mithron but um you got to be in a really good headspace to read it. I've started that story at least half a dozen times and go, nope, not there yet. <laughs> no, no, so, you got to be there. You got to be no. right there. You got to be right there. Yeah. It's, it's fair trade is delightful. Right. Yeah. Uh, but Sandstorms, I've tried because there's a few stories that I know I can, you know, you can tell just, just by reading a few pages of them that they're exceptional. But you get to a point, you just kind of go, mm, not there today. And then you try it again and go, mm, not there today either. Um, so, <laughs> um, but, you know, there's some things that's sort of like, you know, if I was, if I was, um, like, I don't ever think I would write, if I would ever write a Sentinel story again, um, that I would ever write a story where, I would ever be down for writing a story where Jim and Blair weren't a sentinel or a guide. It was like a, a mundane kind of thing. I, I wouldn't be down for that as a writer, but if a really good writer put a story out like that, I'd be down for it as a reader. But there's just thematically the things that capture my attention aren't necessarily the things that capture somebody else's attention. And isn't that a good thing? Because if we were all captivated by the, the same thing, there'd be like one story. I can't read or write non-magical AUs for Harry Potter. Because oh, the I, whole point is the magic. Yeah, and that and that that's the case of where I haven't I haven't run across one as a reader that I was like, but I you know I but I I'm not closed off to the idea if something sounded interesting of picking it up because I was for a long time I said there's no way I would ever read a human AU of Teen Wolf um, because what I like about it is werewolves. I mean, that's the draw, right? The supernatural element. And then I turned right around and read one and like, this was really good. Um, so, I've read a few of those that were good. Yeah. Yeah. It surprised me. Cause I usually, um, if I'm going to read Teen Wolf on the draw for me is cause I like shifter stories. So that's why I would even have anything. I would have nothing to do with that fandom if there weren't werewolves involved. And then once I started reading the stories and I see a story that, you know, is recommended and I go, okay, that sounds really interesting. I'm going to go read that. And then I find, but as I, I trying to imagine the only way I would ever write a human AU is if it were a Sentinel guide story of Teen Wolf. I can't imagine 
One of my favorite human AUs of Teen Wolf is Styles is um, a kindergarten teacher, and Derek is one of the parents, and Scott is Derek's kid. Yeah, that one's I, really cute. It's adorable, right down to the dinosaur cupcakes. I I can't even. It's adorable. Yeah, one of my one one of my favorite um, human AUs for Teen Wolf, and it's not a pairing I I, I really care for actually. It's surprising. Um, is a Styles Peter story where Styles is an author who's in a relationship with. Jackson and it's not a healthy relationship and he goes to a biker bar to um, sort of because he knows Jackson won't look for him there and to kind of you know drink away his woes but he's a very successful writer in this story and Peter's the owner of the bar he's a biker and he he owns the bar and he sees Styles miserable so he goes and heats him up some food and brings it out to him and Styles instantly proposes and Peter's like, well, I'll think about it, but you got to dump that loser you're with first. And it's just the whole story is just really, really well done, um, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I have no idea what that story was called. If somebody else recommends it, I um, think Willow is put a link up. Willow put up the one to Dilf. That's the dad I'd like to fuck, and that's that's the, the Derek, kindergarten the Derek teacher Styles. one. That's the yeah, kindergarten that's teacher the kindergarten one. Teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So there are some really good, you know, human AUs out there, but there was a point in time when I would have said as a reader I wouldn't have been into it. But I still, I'm still kind of at that point of as a writer I'm not into it, even though, you know, from a reader perspective, I've now read several that I thought were, were really good. Um, so, you know, thematically you can get into – so there are like there's, there's sentinel theme, themes and tropes and stuff that I'm not into – um, but that I, I as a as a writer, but that I would really be good with reading. And there's pairings, you know, that I read. There are pairings I read that I would never write. So, um, what captures a, a, the writer's attention and creativity? Um, it's kind of inexplicable. I, I don't. I mean, you could kind of dissect it, but at the end of the day, there's no logic or consistency to any of it. What captured my attention for one storyline is necessarily what's going to be hold true for the next one. So it, it's just not even worth explaining or even trying to explain. It's called okay, the one the you strangers. were. Yeah, that's the biker AU, right? Yeah. Proposing to strangers by Moonstalker twenty four. So pairings, pairings we don't, what pairing might capture your attention? I know you're talking about doing, um, or we're both talking about doing another mothership story, but um, what other pairings might capture your attention that you haven't done before or haven't done Um, I made a list of, that's not the list. What is that? Oh, that's my, the list I made for the voice. None of my picks made it. Well, no, two of them made it. I'm, I'm not happy, though. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, I have made my own team on The Voice. <laughs> team Kira. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. 
I'm not happy because <laughs> my super choice did not make the list, and I'm just not thrilled coming into the live shows. I'm not thrilled. <laughs> I hate it. Although I last year my, I picked my... the winner. I picked the winner during the blinds last year. I hate it when my the, my you know my my unicorn of the season doesn't doesn't make it through. It, it really hurts me. <laughs> But I picked her in the the blinds, and I was like, that's the winner right there. And um, she was on Miley's team, and then Miley cut her. And I was like, oh, my God, you whore, how dare you? Oh, my God. And then Blake stole her, and she won the whole show. And I was like, yeah. Crazy ass. Yeah. So That's a a big old fuck you. What kind of fortune is that? Motherfucker. I just opened my (laughs) fortune cookie from earlier. And it says, for starters, most fl- most fortunes these days are not fortunes; they're observations. Like your kind, it's like shut up. Um, <laughs> reaffirm your financial plans. Make a budget. What kind of fortune is that? <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad advice, but that is not what I wanted to come out of that cookie. Just ruined the whole experience for it, didn't you? Okay, so um so okay, idea number eight on my page. The day James Kirk met Spock at the House of Serac, 300 people were tasked with figuring out what to do about them. (laughs) The Federation Charter didn't account for a Vulcan Sentinel, and no one had an answer to the unique problem of two children from different worlds bonding. Don't worry, Amanda has an idea. Um, let's see. And then I had one where McKay leaves the program instead of going to Siberia. He tells them all to go fuck themselves. And, um, he rejoins, um, the Sentinel Guide Center as a senior Sentinel, as, I mean, as a senior guide. And by the time the SGC, um, needs him again, he's bonded with a Sentinel and he's a package deal. And they don't know quite what to do with John Shepard. Dr. John Shepard. I wouldn't He's not military. He has Shepherd no either. interest in being in the military. Doesn't want his guide going anywhere near the Stargate, much less through it. And fuck you very much, Jack O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see. Um... See what else I had. Um, Harry comes online as a sentinel at the age of ten, and his aunt Petunia helps him keep it a secret. As my spirit guides are demons, Hermione's a guide in hiding, and that's all I wrote down. And I, like I said, all my ideas are just really too big, and um, I. I'd like to do, you know, the mothership, 
on the Seahawk, but I think that would end up being too big as well. What were you thinking of doing on the Seahawk? <laughs> Just what are they well, going to be getting up to? Well, here's the thing. I don't think the Navy would let a Sentinel Guide pair stay on a ship. That's true. I, I would agree with you. I think that would be kind of like a waste. Yeah. They they would be out of... As I say, it's like putting a long-distance runner, you know, in an office for their work. It's all day. It's like, okay. Or putting them on a treadmill. You know, your experience experience is, you know, your excellent long-distance runner, we're going to put you on a treadmill. Um, Yeah, it's a little running in place. Um, So, yeah, you'd have to, once you got past the bonding sex and stuff, you would have to do something with them. Well, I was thinking that um, that they would move into fugitive apprehension because that is a skill set that um, Steve has and that Tony has as well, that they would be very well matched there. That's true. Tony is exceptional at fugitive apprehension. He's got and, um, and then um, when Vance tries to get him back, he doesn't know he's left the Seahawk, and he has to tell Gibbs that he has no idea where Tony is, that the Navy has has taken him, and um, Vance doesn't need to know. (laughs) Oh, now see, I want to read that so bad, but it's not short. (laughs) It's not short. Uh, You know, it's like, of course, at this point, Gibbs would be losing his shit, right? Because he wants to know where Dinozo is. At the very least, he wants to know Dinozo is actually alive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's not the plot after the bonding is not in is not short. No. <laughs> but it sounds exciting. I like the idea of it. Um I'll be putting that on my it's it's on my list. Um and so but it's just not um it's not twenty K. Oh, I guess it may be a pilot episode <laughs> for a series, maybe. Because <laughs> I consider The Gathering in Sentinels of Atlantis my pilot. It's 30K. And so my season finale, The Search, is 50. So it kind of, you know, they kind of balance on the end of each other. Um, so I don't particularly like to ride a bad asshole Gibbs. Um, it's just not my thing. I don't, um, I don't like it. It doesn't really appeal to me. Okay, an asshole Gibbs, yes. A bad, fucked up asshole Gibbs, no. The only way I can ever write Gibbs is just being, not bad, but just kind of like, I'm not dealing with you, is when he's not in the story at all. Um, and that's more of a case of him not being bad, but it's usually where Tony just gets set up with his shit early on or, um, it's, and, and Gibbs never appears on screen, but it's usually a case of like Gibbs choosing Abby to, you know, Ab- Abby over Tony in a, not, not Abby over Tony in a personal way, but choosing to protect Abby rather than 
let her experience consequences for her actions kind of thing. And Tony just goes, okay, enough. And it's not that he doesn't like Gibbs or he hates him or anything. He just kind of goes, you know. I do think Gibbs is, I do think Gibbs is fundamentally flawed, but I don't think he's evil. Um, so even when Tony has just written Gibbs out of his life, it's not because Gibbs is an evil person. It's because I think it's a healthy thing for Tony to do. Right. I'm in agreement. I th- my head cannon for Gibbs is is how I wrote him in um, Ascendant. I really liked your Gibbs in Ascendant. I liked him a lot. Um, flawed, self-aware, a little regretful. You know, hmm. I could do that one. I had plotted this one idea. I'm really, I haven't been into writing Tony Gibbs, but I did have that one idea around Dead Air where Tony comes online, not during Dead Air, but he comes online as Gibbs, before Dead Air, he comes online as Gibbs' guide, and Gibbs is having a little bit of a hard time with it, so they're not. They're not, they're not in a bad place. They're just holding off on everything for a little while while Gibbs wraps his head around the idea that there's a perfect match for him and all that kind of, those kinds of shenanigans. And um, um, so they're not telling anybody yet because they haven't bonded and it's just kind of, they're keeping it kind of low key. And uh, the, then dead air happens and Gibbs mm-hmm. finds out about it and finds out about it and goes into a feral state over um, them leaving Tony without backup. I actually think that would be a 20K story. It wouldn't be because it's, it's basically, you know, cause and effect kind of thing. Um, yeah, you know, you know after- they leave Tony in the field without backup, and then Tony, and then, you know, Gibbs kills them, and then the funerals. <laughs> Three acts. Right. So it's, it's right. It's like <laughs> over and done. I mean, the, the thing about that is is that, I was really intrigued because my, my I um, the um, my idea was that you know I had this idea of of Gibbs hearing about it and the only person near him when he found out about it was Neva and with all her training um, he almost kills her Tony's the one that that gets gets him to back off um, because he just loses his shit over the whole thing and she's not at all repentant about the whole situation um and um but i it doesn't doesn't strictly have to be gibbs i mean the issue has been that i just haven't been in the mood to write tony gibbs um because it does there is a certain amount whether i put 500 words to it or 5,000, there is a certain amount of explaining why tony would want to be with him that late in the series you know because he was kind of a dick so, um, and it's one thing to tolerate some, you know, certain shenanigans from your boss. It's another thing to t- tolerate those kinds of shenanigans from your life partner. So I thought I'd kind of I like the fact that away. he's not NCIS and vicious, um, and that he's coming from the outside. So, um. No one quite knows what to do with him, including Gibbs. I really like that whole element. Yeah, I, I had I had a lot of fun with that. Um, with um, you know, putting kind of almost turning the tables on the two of them, where Gibbs' life circumstances—he's still a bastard, but he's softer than he would be 
um, in, was in canon because he didn't lose his wife and his kid. Um, not to you know, he 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 lost his wife in a divorce in that sense, but he didn't like she didn't die, so he didn't he's not carrying around all this trauma and grief and guilt and all that kind of crap. Um, and he was able to save them because he's a sentinel. So you know, he doesn't have any kind of disdain for his sentinel abilities. He's not avoiding them. He just hasn't found anybody he can work with well. And um, whereas Tony. Um, his life was reset because he was shot in the hip and he had to learn a different set of skills. And so he's harder. You know, you have a harder Tony, a little bit less, he's less, he's less forgiving, a little bit more rigid, um, a little bit more of an asshole than in Canon and Gibbs is a little bit softer, not quite as much of an asshole, still a bastard, but not quite as much an asshole. So it was kind of, kind of reversing that, that dynamic with them. I thought put them on a really, um, I mean, let me do some really unexpected stuff with Tony, but it puts them on a really equal plane in that story. I did. Fun. That was a Secret Santa story. So I, I did change up a lot of my world building in that story over what I usually do because I was trying to hide who wrote it. <laughs> when I, and like, the, like the, the story that like almost everybody guessed is the writer was that was mine. So I, I, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't didn't do a very good job of uh, hiding myself. The one time I did Secret Santa, I did it for SGA, and I think like one person guessed it was me. That's because for the first time ever in fandom, I wrote in first person. Oh, that would do it. First person. So no one saw lot. that shit coming. Yeah. No. Well, I think if I hadn't written a Sentinel story, I think I might have been able to fly under the radar, at least with a few more people. Um, but because I've done so many little black dress stories, a lot of people just mm-hmm. assumed that the Sentinel story was mine. Um, and they assumed it based on the fact that it was a Sentinel story. So, which, you know, other people in the fandom write Sentinel stories. But a few people did peg it on writing style. And it was the, you know, Jilly wrote those. So, um, and the person I wrote, wrote it for knew right away too. So there you go. I didn't hide very well. I didn't need to change up all that world building um, because I, it was completely unsuccessful. <laughs> I wrote it. Um, I'm trying to, I don't, well, no, I was going to say, I was trying to decide if I could do the sequel to Vicious. Um, the second, it's a three story arc. And I'm trying to decide, I was trying to decide if I could do that. As one of the stories, I don't think so. I think I have those all plotted out at around 40k. I have. Let's see. Let me get over here. Um, I I like the idea of of Jack Dalton as a Sentinel. Oh yeah, I I just kind of get this kind of internal sigh and kind of goes all liquidy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know who I'd pair him with. Well, I'd pair him with Tony. Um, <laughs> then I already did. Um, The idea of 
of Ames being a sentinel and be like, like, no, fuck you, I don't ever want to guide. And then, um, like, he's on a job with Arthur and they accidentally bond in a dream. And they have to deal with the oh. after effects. Oh, yes. Please do. They, they wake up bonded and Ames is like, no, and fuck you. And Arthur's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> what the fuck? Why didn't you tell me you were a sentinel? Because Arthur didn't know. I've never gone into that together. dream with you. Right? Oh, you could, do, you could do a whole thing. That the whole inception thing, the whole the whole dream thing, is a, a guide a guide ability. Hmm. Yeah. But again, that is not twenty k. I don't know how. I, I don't even think I could breathe in Inception's direction under fifty k. No, um, no, no. I couldn't either. I don't see how I possibly could. I need a lot of room and part for that. Of it, honestly, I'm, I'm sitting here saying exploring other fandoms or, but honestly for me, I, I mean, I threw that out there as explore the fandoms of the pairings. Is the further I get away from what I know, the more words it takes me. So if right. I want to be, I have the best chance of, of word economy with a character I'm intimately familiar with and in a pairing that is not completely foreign. Right. So, which pairs me down to Atlantis and Harry Potter, and I've already demonstrated repeatedly that I have a hard time staying under twenty k with Harry Potter. Under fifty k, um, <sighs> come on now. From um, ten years after the war, hold on, I'm gonna open it up. I'm gonna open it up. I know you it's seventeen k. I but you were you if. You were you were you were economizing on plot. You could have you could have easily in either of those stories written another twenty k. Yeah. yeah, I could have boomed open on um, ten years after the war and duality. Oh, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure duality was under twenty k. Sorry, I have to go look. Uh, posted. That's not it. <laughs> I could do a Sentinel Magical Mystery Tour of the Avengers. I've already done Tony and Bruce. I could do Tony and... Well, Duality's only 14K, so I've done it twice. You weren't happy about it. I wasn't. I wasn't. I don't really see. I could do Tony Thor. That wouldn't give me any heartburn at all. Um, although that could have a lot of world building in it as to why Tony would be the guide a of an Asgardian. A lot of um, world building. There could be a lot of explanation needed. Um, although I did a lot of world building in um, in uh, All Your Reasons, there, there was a lot of world. I didn't really go anywhere with it. That was a case of where there's a lot of world building that it was kind of the setup for why he was different, but I never really went into any any usefulness 
for what he could do with that. So, um, yeah, that's the Secret Santa story is vicious. Is is vicious, Barb? It's it's on my site. Um, vicious is a Secret Santa story where he gets um, shot. Um, that was written for Desert Poet, who is who is one of our who's one of our minions, and she's a rough trade writer. Um, and she's currently in the chat room. And she's in the chat room. Um, I was actually really cool to be in an, and have nothing to do with rough trade or minion thing. And when they gave out the Secret Santa assignments, I I kind of chuckled because the first year I did the Secret Santa, I got Penumbria, who's the minion, and uh, um, and a rough trade writer. And the next year, um, I got um, Desert Poet, who's a minion and a, and, a, and a rough trade writer. And I don't <laughs> think there are any other minion rough trade writers in the that did Secret Santa, so it was kind of interesting that two years in a row. It's like it's like I swept 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 my peeps. Um, <laughs> the Secret Santa stories. Um, I could be wrong because I don't know everybody. I don't know everybody in the in the in CIS Secret Santa's pen names. But yeah, and I'm kind of now I'm kind of noodling on the this whole magical mystery tour of the Avengers. I'm I'm intrigued by the idea of Tony and Tony, but it would have to be an Alex Shepard story because I cannot deal with the Tony Tony thing. Yeah, it would not that I think anybody would be sad if I did an Alex Shepard story. I like the idea of Kirk and Spock meeting when they're both at the academy, and like one of them be sitting in the classroom, and then the other one walks in, and they look up at each other, and they both go fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Just turn around, walk back out. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you need to come on back in here. <laughs> you can't run away from this. Fuck. <laughs> I could try to do actually, I could try to do something kind of humorous. Not anytime I deliberately write humor, it f- tends to not work well. I'm trying to make it funny, but sometimes if I'm just kind of going for um, I honestly never mean to be funny. I'm just a sarcastic asshole. Yeah, sometimes it just it just comes out. Um, sometimes things just come out amusing, you know, so but I could try yeah, kind of a more lighthearted plotting and with people who are a little bit more snarky and see how that goes. The last time I embraced the crack, we got John Stalinsky being adaptable. He is adaptable. My current <laughs> crack project is ridiculous. It's 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 not ridiculous. It's you haven't read it yet. It's ridiculous. I've read part. I've read part. It's not ridiculous. It's just it's it's. Foundations are cracky. This is, this is what happens when you have a cracked foundation. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you have a cracked foundation, and what comes out, and that's what we would describe it as. Is as I would just go, I don't even know what this is. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So we got. We must have like ninety seconds left, and we still we have no plot. tree babies. No plots. Um, I thought the tree baby is like the best cracked foundation ever. It's a tree baby. 
My favorite line in that whole fix so far is when Derek tells Magda he she needs to put a chastity belt on their tree baby so that evil druid can't bad touch her. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that evil druid bad touch our baby, our tree baby. Yeah. Derek's going to be all up in protecting his tree baby. He's just that kind of overprotective <laughs> father. It doesn't matter that it's a grand sequoia. It's his tree baby. <laughs> It doesn't matter at all. <laughs> it, oh, that, it that's my amazing. head And it's full of, of really sarcastic, bitchy shit because I wrote most of it when I had PMS. Oh, shit. We're down to 22 seconds. Say goodnight. <laughs> Good night, everyone. <laughs> night, night, night. <laughs>